This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Let's go back in time to 1932 as Congress brings you historic footage of the legendary original Celtics with whom all great professional teams are compared. We have now taken over your radio. Richie Guerin is about to show you the most important step in getting past a man. It's the first one. And Oscar will inbound it. The men in green, the Milwaukee Bucks, that's Al Cinder against Bellamy. Hello and welcome back to the Over and Back Classic NBA Podcast. I am Jason Mann and with me as always is Rich Krejci. And joining us today is a first-time guest. He is a uh, professor of history who uh, writes about the NBA, including at our uh, – he's a contributor at our uh, forums at overandbacknba.com. Adam Cribbley. Adam, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. And we are – we're going to go back a little uh, old school. For, for the most part, we for the individual player discussions, we have been talking about post-1996 players. But there's a few players who um, played before that era that we think um, were overlooked and are deserving of a deeper dive. And one of them today is Adrian Dantley. So um, – Going through a little bit of just the the overall numbers for him, he uh, is 33rd all-time in win shares, 27th in win shares for 48, 58th in box score plus minus, uh, 40th in value over replacement player. Uh, he is a two-time All-NBA second team. He had seven seasons in the top 10 in win shares for 48, including number one in 1984, uh, five times in the top 10 in value over replacement player. In some in other ranking systems, he is 66th in the Bill Simmons uh, Book of Basketball Pyramid 
and the Slam Magazine Top 500 has him at 83rd. And he was an incredibly efficient, productive scorer in an era where efficiency wasn't really as valued. Incredible getting at the free throw line, just had a great footwork and a great touch. Um, really great score, but maybe um, not a strong defender. Sometimes had issues on teams. He was traded a lot, and teams often played better after he left. So, so seems like just based on the numbers, seems like an absolute you know great superstar, and be a shoe in for this. Um, top 50 but with some of the other stuff uh maybe not so much uh clearly it was overlooked on the original list so there's something there that that you know maybe uh is questionable so um adam how do you feel about adrian dantley in his case for the top 50 you know i didn't uh i didn't know a lot about dantley other than kind of the his his late career when he was on those pistons teams and of course famously is uh is traded to dallas and detroit brings in mark aguirre and then they win a title and so it you know, you ha- you very much have this idea of addition by subtraction. Like he was, he was obviously not that good, or Detroit wouldn't have traded him, and you know he would have won a title in Detroit. So before I did any, you know, any research or or really knew much about Dantley, that was that was kind of all I know uh, knew about him. And so it's been really fun to kind of dig into the numbers and and really look at how productive of a player he was. And as you mentioned, especially in the days before we looked at things like player efficiency and and box plus minus. Yeah, one thing I just noticed that was interesting is from 1980 to 1984, um, so five seasons in a row, he had PERs of 24.3, 24.3, 24.2, 24.4, and 24.6. It it would have been nice if he would have been a little more consistent. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, what's what's funny is if if you looked at his points per game during that same era, I'm looking at it right now, 30.7, 30.3, 30.7, and then 30.6. So, yeah, he uh, really across the board. I mean, a guy you just could not predict what he was going to do year to year. Right. It's just it's yeah. got to be frustrating for teams. You know, the Utah Jazz looking to get together. Like, what are we going to get out of Dantley this year? Yeah. 30 well, points per game. I mean, come on. And, and you know, he, out of nowhere. Yeah, and, and he was reputed, if you look at the videotape, we kind of did the same thing. I mean, he either, like – you know, kind of kind of got the ball and, you know, and, and, and took a shot like uh, sort of a flat footed jumper, like, um, you know, from the top of the key, kind of mid range thing. Or he would, you know, kind of fake a guy out and get around to the basket and sort of, you know, sneak a lay layup by somebody like he he wasn't necessarily that quick, but like just maybe like somewhat in similar in style to, you know, a Paul Pierce where he could just, you know, he was crafty enough to kind of get around you and to kind of use what he had to, you know, hit some good fakes and just was able to, you know, either, you know, uh, you draw a foul or, you know, just kind of sneak to the basket around other guys and, um, uh, you know, was also incredibly disciplined and Joe, Joe Dumars called him the most disciplined player that he'd ever seen. So, um, I, yeah, I mean, numbers wise, he's absolutely, um, you know, it seems like he should be there. Um, and, you know, he was he led um, some pretty good Utah teams. Um, he, he was sort of traded. Um, they they did kind of get better after he left. But that was, I think, more of like that kind of gave Stockton and Malone room to breathe rather than necessarily him being worse. And, you know, even though Detroit did. I mean, they won a championship after, after he left, but, you know, he was 32 and really at the end of his career. I mean, he only played like 65 or 55 more games or, uh, I don't know, uh, 
80 more games, I guess. So not that many more games after that over a couple more seasons. So he was basically done at that point. And, you know, he got them to a point where, you know, when he joined them, they were like, you know, pretty good playoff team, but they weren't winning championships. And he got them to within one game winning the finals. Um, So uh, close enough, I would say, to being a guy who could lead you to championship. Now they, you know, had Isaiah Thomas and Bill Ambeer. And, you know, he wasn't necessarily the best player on those teams, but he was still, you know, very, very good. You know, I was um, when I was watching some video clips of him. Kind of, I, I hadn't. Uh, I like the Paul Pierce comparison, but I I went a little old school for my comparison. And I was looking at his game, and he played so much uh, without kind of the court vision of kind of an Oscar Robertson. And so, I mean, it's a it's a completely bizarre comparison because Dantley was was obviously uh, more of a pure scorer, and Robertson a floor general. But their their body types were similar. I mean, they were both mm-hmm. kind of chiseled, six five, two hundred and ten pounders. Um, and one thing I loved watching about, you know, watching Oscar and reading about Oscar was that he never jumped an inch higher than he had to. He never, you know, people would think they could block his shot and they would, it would just pass their fingertips and, and on layups, he'd, he'd get post position against someone you just didn't expect he could score on and he still would. And Dantley was the same way. I mean, he was, you know, a six, three or six, four forward who scored around the hoop. And, uh, he kind of had that, like you mentioned with Pierce, he kind of had an old man game. That uh, that I can only imagine would have translated real well to the YMCA or whatever, you know, <laughs> right. in a, in a later age. But he just play, he played so differently than anybody else in the league at the time, or really since, with the exception, again, Pierce is maybe uh, the best modern comparison, and Pierce is still five or six inches taller. Yeah, a guy that I use that it's it's kind of interesting. We all came with different ones, and I think we all have different sort of scopes of it. Is I I called him the rich man's Corey Maggette. I like that. a lot of ways, whereas as, as Corey, I mean, obviously he's far better than Corey McGetty, but similar thing where, where Corey McGetty's just, you know, he walked onto the court and this body, you know, chiseled and you're like, oh, this guy is just going to jump all over us, run us down. And then he's kind of like slow and he kind of backs you down. And then he goes to the line like 15 times and scores 20 points, you know, mostly at the free throw line. But that's just kind of how we did it. And that's that's I get the same thing from Dantley as well, where you always kind of assume looking at his body, oh, man, this guy is just going to be super athletic and fly all over the court and do all this sort of stuff. And it's like, nah, I'm just going to kind of be – I'm going to back you down even though you're taller than me. And But that's all right. I'm just going to kind of not even jump and make a little kind of turnaround jumper. It, it's, it's, it's funny. I mean, watching the clips of him, you, you, you sort of see this – it, it's almost like you look at it and you go, how is this guy as good as he is? You, you know, and a lot of stuff. And then you look at the numbers and you go, holy crap, this guy's really, really good. And it's, it's, you know, as I'm going through and pouring through these numbers and looking at him and doing stuff and, and watching these game films, and I'm looking at him going, this he's one of the more underrated guys I think I've ever seen, whereas a guy who just production-wise, it's all there. I mean, like everything you could ask for is there. But for some reason, I you know, we we didn't initially think of him as, as a shoe-in for the top 50. You know, obviously the, the original list didn't see him as a shoe-in. It took him for a long time to get to the you know the Hall of Fame. It, it's interesting. I don't know why. I, it's, it's very, very weird. Yeah, but I think and... some of that... No, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, some. I, I think some of it is that he had a reputation then as as kind of a selfish player, and so right. his his contemporaries didn't like him. He wasn't well loved by teammates, and so and, and with the media not he he wasn't media friendly, and so I think that kind of, he kind of suffered for that, and so he didn't get elected in the Hall of Fame until later. We you know it's that that uh, again addition by subtraction, and so I think he's he's become incredibly forgotten in, in the history of the NBA, and not until you look at the numbers and kind of watch the film again do you do you appreciate how he played and, and his efficiency doing so. Yeah. And, you know, there's, I've come across a couple of articles to sort of trying to explain the, the Adrian Dantley phenomenon. Um, 
there's one at a screaming comes across the court uh, blogspot.com that it, it's some interesting you know, sort of observations using stats and stuff and and basically sort of concluding that you know Dantley was just a little bit one dimensional um he was once a great rebounder but kind of lost that especially in utah where he was just you know offering scoring and not much else um didn't really pass or defend he was just kind of like give him the ball and get out of the way um didn't really play off other players but uh, you know even if we accept that he was kind of one-dimensional and and i i know i remember a few years ago and i, I couldn't find it again i kind of scoured everywhere i thought it was on um APBR, but I, I can't find it there where there was like sort of like a study looking at like I wasn't exactly like plus minus or on off, but it was something kind of along those lines that was kind of like looking at like the effect of Dantley on his teammates or the effect of Dantley like when he was and wasn't on the floor and um and basically sort of concluding that like teams generally played better when he was off the court, generally played better when he wasn't there. But you would just think that even if you accept, okay, he wasn't good at these things, he was really one-dimensional, or somewhat one-dimensional, he was such an efficient scorer at that volume that you would think that that would just, in and of itself, that value would be enough to make him at least, you know, a, a pretty good contender for the top 50, if not in it. And, and he was considered for the, the top 50. I mean, I think he was on... um you know, they, they did like a, a next 10 list and I believe he was on that. So, I mean, he, you know, people saw him as as close to it. But, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the, the numbers are are so good. And at least, you know, from what I can see looking at video and stuff, um, you know, I mean, he, he seemed really good. You know, he didn't seem like um, necessarily a, a huge liability and defense, at least compared to like, you know, his era, I mean, there were a lot of small forwards during his era that didn't play much defense. So, you know, he wasn't like the only guy, um, you know, in that club. So I, I don't know. It, it's, I, I, you know, I, I, I lean, I think he's a pretty good candidate for the top 50. Yeah. So how do you, I guess, how do you reconcile though the, and you mentioned it earlier, being traded five times in his career, it's, you know, he's, he's rookie of the year in, in, in 77. And then he ends up, within three seasons, he's on four teams. And so if there's that value, why is everybody getting rid of him? Yeah, I mean, you know, he okay, he went to Buffalo and then was in Indiana for like 20 games and then went to Lakers for about two seasons. And, you know, Buffalo and Indiana were pretty dysfunctional situations um, at the time. Um, the Lakers, you know, they had uh, Jamal Wilkes, um, who, you know, he was kind of competing against and... Um, you know, so he wasn't really, you know, like, I don't know. That's like blaming Chauncey Billups for, like, you know, for bouncing around early in his career. I mean, obviously, like, once he found the right spot, like, it wasn't like he was traded a whole lot again. I mean, he went from, you know, Utah to Detroit and then, you know, Detroit to Dallas. But, um, I mean, those trades all kind of made sense at the time. I mean, I, I think if, like, you take out that early three years of his career when it was just, like, he wasn't really established and he was part of, like, a an NBA culture that didn't necessarily like value him that well, even though you know, like I said, he was the rookie of the year in Buffalo, but they were kind of selling everything off at that point, I think. And they obviously were, you know, close to a couple years away from, from moving. So I, I, I don't necessarily think the, the early stuff, it's fair to necessarily judge him. I, I think, you know, like later on, you can kind of, you know, there, there's some conclusions you can kind of make maybe, but um, I think you kind of have to consider where he was in his career uh, to kind of give that a little bit of context. 
Yeah, and I think that's the thing that I'm going to kind of have trouble with or wrestle with a little bit with, with Danley is that here's a guy who, you know, in a modern era or even, you know, a few years later or maybe 10, 15 years after he, his career was kind of over, he's a guy who would, I think would be, you know, in today's game, people would love him. I mean, the advanced stat people would obviously enjoy the efficiency and all that sort of stuff where you look at it then and you see that it's not much of a value and maybe he can be seen as selfish and, you know, he's not. That's it, it's It's very interesting, yeah, because I don't know how we – it, it's going to be a problem because we've we've ran into this with a few players that we've talked about of, of sort of judging them in their era, judging them all time, judging them of how we you know judge players and evaluate players today versus how they judged and evaluated them then and looked at. It. So it, it's really weird. I mean, r- real quick here, you're looking at his advanced stats, you know, based off position and based off era. Uh, Aaron position, he's ninth in uh, points per 36, uh, sixth in free throws attempted per 36, eighth in win shares per 48, fifth in win shares and eighth in value of replacement player. Uh, rather, what I think is a little bit more impressive for him is uh, position all time. So this is all time, um, you know, uh, of his position. Fifteenth uh, in points per thirty-six, eleventh in win shares per forty-eight, eleventh in win shares, and nineteenth in value over replacement players. So we look at a lot of the advanced stats that we look at today, and he looks like a slam dunk candidate for a top fifty. But then, like as Adam said, you sort of have to wrestle with the idea that, yeah, I mean, if if now we think he was really good, but then they didn't think so. How do you judge that? I I don't know. <laughs> I, I have a tough time with that. I don't know if I have an exact answer of how you sort of judge those guys who who maybe weren't as appreciated in their era. Do we sort of appreciate them more now or realize they were against their, you know, how the game was played at the time? I, I don't know. I don't know how to do that, really. Yeah, I it's it's complicated. I, I think he has a strong enough resume that he's certainly a contender, but um, you know, he's probably gonna be like in that, you know, those last five guys that we're gonna really wrestle with and and um you know, I, I guess we're going to put them side by side and just sort of, um, you know, see where they meet stats wise and career accomplishment wise and um, and that kind of thing. But it's yeah, it'll um, but I, I think he he belongs in the battle for sure. No, I agree. Um, one all time like what if team I would have loved to see on league pass back in the day. So in 1979, he ends up, uh, or he's in, uh, he's in Utah, right? And uh, that same season, they had, uh, so they had Adrian Dantley, Bernard King, and Pete Maravich on the same team for like three months, um, and that would have been one that I would have loved to see. I, I, I talk about, you know, offensive juggernaut that they could have had uh, for a few months there, but but it wasn't to be. Yeah, and in him with Jamal Wilkes and Kareem, you know, um, sure. would have been interesting. Um, interesting as well. I, I, you know, they, yeah, it, it's just so weird how um, it is weird the the early years, and you know, the other guys like that, like Bernard King, you know, bounced around quite a bit too. Um, you know, his Buffalo Braves team. I mean, he had um, there was uh, Ernie. DiGregorio, uh, Moses Malone, Bob McAdoo um, were uh, Randy Smith. Those guys were all on that team. I'm not, I'm not sure if they were all exactly in the same team because there was some. There was some. Well, uh, Moses only played two games there, so I, I'm guessing they probably didn't all play. You know, all on the floor quite exactly at the same time. Um, there were some trades going on there, but still, um, you know, that team had that. That was an interesting mix of guys too. Um, uh, he played on some interesting teams before he settled uh, there into uh, into Utah. And he, those Utah teams were kind of fun too. Um, uh, you know, they they finally they took that, that team. You know, took that team ten years to get to the playoffs. But you know, they had kind of had some fun um, things going on for a while as well. So yeah, um, 
I, you know, I I wonder even if he had played ten years later, if like um, his Utah years would be better appreciated because that's all that stuff kind of gets forgotten because you know we that's really before the NBA became huge and the, the stuff that's remembered from the early '80s is really Lakers, Celtics, Sixers, and that's about it. So it, you know, that sort of might be he might not be as remembered quite as well as he should be because that stuff wasn't documented as well as it would have been even 10 years later. So Adam, uh, anything else? No, I, I, I think you're spot on. I think the numbers seem to indicate that, that Dantley's in the conversation, but I think ultimately end of the day, he's probably outside looking in. All right. Well, um, well, Adam, thanks for uh, joining us. And um, we'll be back again soon with uh, more uh, top 50 podcasts as we keep going through the candidates until we uh, reach the finish line. Uh, thanks, everyone, for uh, checking us out. Uh, you can find us at harvardpresses.com. We also have our forums, as I mentioned, at overandbacknba.com. Uh, you can uh, leave us a rating and review on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at overandbacknba. So uh, until next time, thanks for listening. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.